0: We worship Him every time we come before Him. So let's uh, rejoice in that gospel as we humble ourselves before God. Amen. Let's now turn to the Word of God. Our scripture reading this morning comes from 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter 2. The verses 11 through 25. Beloved, I urge you, as sojourners and exiles, to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and, and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing, when mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. As we reflect on what we've read, let's sing together from Psalm 69, stanza 7. As I do, that in actual practice, when you are afflicted, when you endure injustice, it's a lot harder to actually do what Christ calls us to do. There's nothing natural about it. And for some of us, it even militates against that inner sense of justice that we have. Let's take a closer look then at the passage and seek to understand why Peter would call us to do this. We probably should begin by thinking about the institution of slavery because Peter is writing to slaves. There are perhaps a number of us who might be struggling with this text already on that level. Certainly the uh, broader Christian world does struggle with that. Uh, the, The argument is it sort of seems like Peter is compromising with the institution of slavery. Uh, Some have argued uh, even more. He is enabling and perpetrating the institution of slavery by teaching slaves to submit to their masters. So, something should be said about that. The word, uh, in the first place, that Peter uses for servants or slaves is not the usual word that Scripture uses for slaves. Uh, the Greek word doulos is usually that word. Uh, this is a different word that only occurs here in the whole of the New Testament. Uh, the Greek word oiketes, which refers to household slaves. So he's speaking to a particular uh, group of servants or slaves. Now I don't know that a big deal needs to be made of that word choice, uh, other than to note that uh, this would have been a large part of the Christian church, the Christian population, uh, a lot of them were household servants and slaves, those who worked for their masters in the context of the home. And now, of course, what Peter says here would certainly apply to other kinds of slaves. Uh, slavery was a huge institution in the Roman Empire, with a third to possibly even half of the population of Rome being slaves, of some kind, uh, slaves could work in all sorts of different fields, whether highly uh, educated fields uh, doctors, teachers, lawyers uh, uh, and of course, they uh, often were most of them were found on the other end of the spectrum those who worked in manual labor, uh, very brutal living and working conditions so it 's a fair question then isn't it doesn't peter doesn 't scripture By speaking to slaves and telling them to submit, doesn't Scripture seem to legitimize the institution of slavery? Well, the short answer is, no, that's not what Scripture is doing. Uh, Peter is neither legitimizing nor delegitimizing the institution because he's not writing to slave owners, nor is he writing to the government. Uh, He's speaking here, to the slaves, uh, and he's writing specifically to Christian slaves. What does it mean to live as a Christian as a slave? That's the question that Peter is addressing. Now, I know, of course, there are there are other scriptures that do speak to slave owners, and the uh, instruction is not a simple uh, repent and set your slaves free. Uh, it is more complex than that. Uh, but in this text, we need to listen <clears throat> to what Peter is saying and bear in mind to whom is Peter saying it. He's not writing to Caesar. He's not writing to uh, the, the powerful slave owners. He's writing to these Christian slaves. It's very easy for us, I and mean, many people do this, uh, 2,000 years later to look back on these texts and say, well, why didn't God just condemn the institution of slavery altogether? Uh, why does God legitimize that institution? But to ask that is to miss the point. Peter's not writing for your satisfaction. He's not writing to address our questions 2,000 years later. He's writing in the middle of suffering, in the middle of an evil institution, writing how does it, what does it look like to be a Christian in the middle of that uh, context. Uh, he's writing to slaves who have no control over the fact that they are slaves. <clears throat> um, now, we, we might ask the broader question, what does Scripture say about the institution of slavery? And it's a worthy question to, to ask. Uh, first, it is true that there are biblical texts addressed to slave owners. Uh, the Old Testament regulates slave ownership, uh, but does not forbid it outright. Now, that doesn't mean we shouldn't rush to judgment. That doesn't mean... God approves of the institution. The Old Testament regulated divorce. It regulated uh, polygamy as well. uh, And both of those uh, were clearly disapproved of by God. Uh, Adam and Eve were created free. And we should take that as our starting point. God wants us to be free. Man was made for freedom. Slavery is inconsistent with God's design. We can say that already just from Genesis 1. Uh, Likewise, in the New Testament, there are instructions to slave owners, and it's true that they aren't as simple as just repent and set your slaves free, uh, but rather it is working with the institution for the ultimate good and freedom of your slaves. Uh, Slave owners are commanded by God to treat their slaves with kindness and justice, uh, to seek their best interests, to give up threatening. To remember that they too have a master in heaven. Uh, in a little letter of Philemon, Paul, the Apostle Paul urges the slave owner Philemon uh, to set free his slave who had become a Christian. Uh, likewise, Paul speaks to slaves too and he urges them uh, to obtain their freedom if it is at all possible. But we need to remember again in the first place that the New Testament wasn't written to the government. It was primarily written to Christians, to those who were suffering from these broken institutions. And there's no question that the gospel ultimately leads to freedom, uh, to the abolition of the slave trade altogether. Now, The gospel principles of loving one another, of treating one another with justice, those are principles that are fundamentally inconsistent with the trafficking of slaves. Uh, in the long run, it is the gospel uh, that, that leads to freedom. The gospel teaches as well that there is only one race, uh, the human race. So speaking there against the race-based slavery that we know of in our culture, we are all descendants of Adam. Uh, and all who who believe in Christ also stand on level ground before the cross now, Colossians three verse eleven There is neither Greek nor Jew circumcised nor uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, or free, but Christ is all and in all uh, so as as Christians, we might also speak against the race based ideologies that led to uh, the slave trades in our own cultures uh, those are those are absolutely. Antithetical to the gospel message uh, the racism and and white supremacy that that uh fueled the North American slave trade had nothing to do with Christianity. In fact, uh, if you look at them carefully, you realize they had far more to do with Darwinian evolution, uh, the worldview of that day uh, that believed that blacks were an under-evolved race. Uh, The KKK uh, in the American South is still explicitly a Darwinian uh, institution. Uh, we should also recognize that that the Bible, both Old and New Testament, explicitly condemns uh, man-stealing, uh, which is which is what the trans- transatlantic slave trade was—a system of stealing people, kidnapping people, and and enslaving them. Uh, In the Old Testament, the the, uh, Scriptures even place a death penalty on those who engage in such behavior. Exodus 21, whoever steals a man and sells him, and anyone found in possession of him, shall be put to death. That wasn't a verse that was preached on very often in the 18th and 19th century uh, in America. Uh, Likewise, also in the New Testament, Paul uh, writes in 1 Timothy 1 verse 9, The law is not laid down for the just, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and sinners, for the unholy and profane, for those who strike their fathers and mothers, for murderers, the sexually immoral, men who practice homosexuality, for enslavers, for liars, for perjurers, and whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine. Uh, The the practice of enslaving free people is explicitly condemned in Old and New Testament. Uh, So anyways, we would be wrong then to assume by reading a text like this that Scripture simply legitimizes or supports uh, the institution of slavery. We realize the Gospel, in fact, is aimed directly against those sorts of injustices. But then... Coming back to our text, we have to recognize these verses were not written to answer our questions. They were written to those who were slaves in a system that they could not escape. Uh, And uh, it's in that context then that Peter gives these hard, hard words. Slaves, verse 18, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good, And gentle, but also to the unjust. I can't begin to describe uh, nor even imagine how difficult that would have been to do, to live out in Peter's day. Now, we can't begin to imagine the horrors of the slavery, uh, the system of slavery in that day. Yeah, there were some good masters, and in fact, Peter acknowledges that there are good masters, uh, but there were also plenty of. Unjust masters. Masters who beat, uh, he says, who beat their slaves unjustly. Peter alludes to that in verse 20. Uh, in our relatively comfortable North American uh, lives, we can't begin to imagine even what these slaves, uh, how hard it was for them to live out the gospel. Now, there were also many of them that would have had children, and their children also then would have belonged to their masters as their master's property. Uh, We can only begin to imagine the, the emotional, the painful struggles that these parents had to live with. And so Peter's words to these Christians who find themselves in this situation is, Be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. Those are hard words to hear. And as we hear them, we shouldn't only think of slaves 2,000 years ago. We might think today of all other contexts of unjust suffering. If, if the gospel says this to slaves, then what does the gospel say to your suffering if your suffering is unjust? And none of us here are slaves, to my knowledge anyway. Uh, certainly many of us, though, do know what it's like to suffer unjustly, uh, to be unjustly attacked or treated. And so we should hear what Peter has to say. Uh, Those who have employers that they feel are unjust to them, unfair, uh, hear what Peter is saying. Those who feel mistreated or betrayed by business partners, think through what Peter is saying. Uh, All of us, if we feel uh, like the government treats us unjustly, then hear what Peter is saying. Now, the first thing Peter does caution us as we think about this is, be sure, be sure that when you suffer, you suffer for doing good. And it's no credit to you if you suffer for doing well. You don't get to brag about that, uh, how well you endure that suffering. It's very easy for us when when we're suffering to assume that we must be suffering unjustly. Uh, That the suffering that I experience is nothing but the result of unfair treatment by others, uh, when in fact it may well just be the consequence of my own actions. I know, I know that, that little lawyer that lives in your heart and lives in mine uh, immediately gets up and says, No, no, that's not what it's about. Uh, this suffering that I endure, this, this is unfair. They're, they're mistreating me. Well, Peter says, just think about it. Make sure that if you're suffering, it is not for your own, uh, your own wrongdoing." Uh, And let's remember here, uh, again, Peter's writing to slaves, to those who've already endured great suffering, and uh, to Christians as well who've endured persecution and were about to endure worse. So if Peter's willing to say that to them, make sure that your suffering's not unjust, uh, certainly that's something that we should uh, reflect on and give time for uh, as we think about this text ourselves. Uh, Peter still cautions them, though he knew that much of their suffering was unjust, he still says, make sure it's not because of your own actions. And so if that's the cause of, of your suffering, if you're suffering as a result of your own wrongdoing, your, the consequences of your own actions, uh, the, the words are still true, you, you still have to bear that respectfully and submissively, uh, but that's, that's not what Peter is talking about. But sometimes what we endure really is unfair. Uh, Whether it's because we're Christians uh, or or simply because our boss or, uh, in their context, their master is just harsh or cruel or unfair. Sometimes what we endure really is unfair. And there, Peter's uh, words are, Be subject with all respect, not just to the fair, but also to the unfair now, our, our natural impulse deep, deep within us, when we hear those words, is, is to say, Yeah, but that's not fair. How many of you children have ever heard those words in your home or maybe said those words? That's not fair. And that runs deep within us. Uh, it's not fair. And as a culture, uh, we, we think a lot about that question, uh, what's fair? What's fair? Uh, we talk about fair wages, we talk about fair trade, uh, and so easily we, we operate under the assumption that uh, if I'm not being treated fairly, then it's no longer fair uh, for, to expect me to respond with grace and kindness. Uh, if, if my pastor or my elder comes to me and says, you need to respond with grace, uh, my impulse is, yeah, but that's not fair, because look what they're doing. What Peter's saying here is, is, is not uh, be, be submissive, be respectful as long as things are fair. Saying be, re- be submissive and respectful when they're not fair. Uh, uh, this is where Peter then draws our attention to the gospel. He says, If when you do good and suffer for it and endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. A gracious thing. What's grace? Grace is undeserved favor. Favor or kindness that is given to those who don't deserve it. Now, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God, for to this very thing you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example that you might follow in his steps. What Peter's saying is. What Christ endured for you wasn't fair. It wasn't fair. It was as unfair and unjust and cruel as anything could ever have been. He was lied about. He was falsely accused. He was whipped, the flesh torn off of Him. He was beaten. He was mocked. He was stripped naked. Uh, and then he was crucified with nails being driven through his hands and feet. His body and his, his very dignity being violated. And, and then being hung up in public with two thieves as a common criminal. Was that fair? Well, it wasn't fair. And Christ took that calling upon himself and chose that path for you. To endure what you deserved. For your sins and to do so while you were yet God's enemies. He loved you and was willing to suffer for you. And so Peter says in this Christ leaves us an example. Uh, the word that he uses there for example Um, is a unique word uh, in the Greek language, hypogrammos, And it refers, uh, anywhere else you find it in Greek literature, it refers to uh, a pattern that children would trace. So if any of you children are in kindergarten, you have these uh, traced lines that you're supposed to learn, that you used to learn to write your your letters. And that's, that's the word that he uses here. It's, Christ leaves us a pattern, something for us to follow, something for us to imitate, uh, where we trace our lives along the lines that He has left for us. He suffered unjustly, unfairly, but returning, uh, not returning evil for evil or attack for attack, nor harboring hatred and bitterness in His heart, but pouring Himself out in love, overcoming evil with good. That's the pattern he left for you to trace. And so Peter says, this is a gracious thing. In the sight of God, a beautiful imitation of Christ. When mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. And you notice, Peter does not minimize the reality of that suffering or sorrow. Some of those slaves suffered in ways that we will uh, hopefully never have to even imagine. They experienced sorrows. They knew what it was like uh, to cry out to God in the bitter hours of the night. Uh, But by God's grace, they walked after the pattern of Christ. The Christian historian Eusebius uh, writes of many of the sufferings of the early Christians of uh, the Roman Empire. <clears throat> and he quotes from a letter written by uh, the Christian communities of Lyon and Vienne, uh, recounting there the persecutions that they had suffered in the summer of A.D. 177. And he writes of one slave girl by the name of Blendina. Uh, who was arrested along with her Christian mistress and was tortured in public. And, and the Christian community then wrote about her. Uh, they said, While we all trembled, and her earthly mistress, who, who was herself, one of the witnesses, feared that on account of the weaknesses of her body, she would be unable to make a bold confession. Yet Blendina was filled with such power as to be delivered and raised above those who were torturing her by turns from morning till evening in every manner so that they acknowledged that they were conquered and could do nothing more to her. And they were astonished at her endurance as her entire body was mangled and broken. And they testified that one of these forms of torture was sufficient to destroy life, not to speak of so many great and so many sufferings. But the the blessed woman, like a noble athlete, renewed her strength in her confession and her comfort and relief from the pain of her sufferings was in exclaiming, I am a Christian and there is nothing vile done by us. That's the suffering and the witness that Peter calls us to. Now this this slave girl gave her, in in both her life and in her death, the best reflection, the best imitation of Christ that she could and entrusted herself to a God who judges justly. That same letter that Eusebius writes uh, speaks of many, many other saints describing all of their sufferings one after another beyond the point of brokenness. Men, women, and children who so understood the love of God uh, that they confessed the name of Christ to the very end. It is a terrible thing, but it is a gracious thing in the sight of God to endure suffering unjustly. If so, in death, Well, how much more then, brothers and sisters, in life? It's not fair. But when we suffer and uh, and nonetheless show mercy and respect and submission to those who treat us wrongly uh, in what is almost certainly lesser ways than these Christians were treated wrongly... uh, It's then that we experience the perfect freedom and commendable beauty of living out the gospel life in a way that the world is unable to conquer. Just as those torturers gave up on Blandina and said, we can't conquer her, she has conquered us. Uh, Let that be our testimony also to the world. And so Peter says, it's a gracious thing and it's a thing to which you've been called. Uh, what's perhaps uh, most striking and, and maybe most uncomfortable about this passage is that Peter says to these Christians not only that this is the, the best you can do to make the best out of a miserable situation, uh, but, but even more, he says, it's to this very thing that you have been called. And called, called by whom? Well, called by God, your Heavenly Father, and consider this, brothers and sisters, in your unjust sufferings as well. Uh, it is no accident that you find yourself in the position that you do. Whether it's in the job uh, where you have to face unjust treatment from an employer, or in a marriage where you feel unjustly treated by your spouse. Uh, or in whatever other relationship in which you feel uh, treated unfairly, Peter reminds us this is the very thing for which you've been called. This is the very scenario where the gospel can actually shine, where people get to see uh, what it looks like lived out. And I'm not saying, by saying that, I'm not saying uh, that if you are in an abusive relationship or an abusive marriage that you shouldn't seek help, that you should just endure it. That's not the point that Peter's making either. Where God gives us opportunity to find help, to find healing, to find rescue, uh, of course we are called to those things. Scripture clearly teaches as much. But we are called to seek those things with the grace and the Spirit of Christ. And that's the point. Uh, The flesh seeks vengeance. The spirit of Christ seeks peace and healing. And and so Peter reminds us, even as we experience unfair treatment, uh, that is no accident of God's providence. God doesn't say, oops. Uh, That was his very calling for you. Now, you are there, as uncomfortable as that truth might be, you are there by the design and purpose of God who loves you, the same God who sent Christ to die for you and has put you in that place to shine the light of the gospel in a way that the world can see it. So if Peter could say that to slaves, uh, and to slaves who are about to endure persecution as Christians then how much more, brothers and sisters, would Peter not say that to you and me? It is to this that we've been called. So that in this context, as we suffer, however we might suffer, uh, we might demonstrate to those who persecute or mistreat us the same love that Christ shows to us while we were still His enemies. And that means that if we are to do this well, if we want to trace that pattern that Christ has laid for us, the strength to do that is not going to come from us just pulling ourselves up by the bootstraps, saying, you know, I'll try harder tomorrow, uh, gritting our teeth, enduring it, and just doing it. Uh, That kind of approach uh, cannot endure. That's not what he's calling us to. The strength for enduring suffering uh, with grace will come from seeing the pattern that Christ has laid before us. From spending time at the foot of the cross. Remembering what our Savior endured for our sake. Because of his great love for us. Remembering the insults that he received. As if they were uh, insults from our own mouths. As they certainly would have been had we been there. Remembering what he uh, was insulted without insulting back remembering the beatings that he endured without lashing out in return. And not because he didn't have the right to, if anyone ever had the right to, to punch back, to lash out in return, uh, surely Christ, more than anyone, had that right and authority. But he, he, he chose to be there to suffer for your sake and mine, as undeserving as we are, because he loves us. And to that, brethren and sisters, you have also been called. Amen. Let's respond to God's word by singing together from hymn 25, stanzas one through four.